Welcome to Contravariance, a podcast about Apple, Swift, and other programming languages. Um, my name is Bas Brook. And I'm Benedikt Terhechte. And today we want to talk about a topic that I think we pitched back in episode two, maybe? It's been a while. Yeah, two or three. I'm also not sure. So what we want to talk about is uh, like a big refactoring across a like bigger project that basically touches the whole project um, from top to bottom. And maybe for a bit of an, a deeper explanation, shall we quickly mention what the code base looks like for our listeners? Yeah. Can you do that? Yeah, I can. So um, it's the code base of the company that we both work at, Xing. And um, we have around 200,000 lines of mixed Swift Objective-C code. And I would say we are roughly at a 50-50 state um, if you ignore tests. Um, so it's 50% Swift, 50% Objective-C, and the code base has been worked on for at least, I would, I think, eight years. So it's, it, it is a grown code base. It is a lot of code. Um, and in addition to that, the code base is separated in a way so that there are different teams working on different sections of the app. The app has a lot of features. It is like a messenger section, which basically implements something like WhatsApp. And then there's a news section. Um, and then there's a event section where you can basically, um, take care about events and then there is a um, group section which is a messaging board so all these sections basically belong to different teams and then we work in a global team that kind of um, takes care of integrating all these different teams and so that's where from time to time refactorings happen that affect all the code from all the other teams as well yeah to give maybe a bit more uh, information on that is like we like our team uh, provides a few frameworks um, that we can also see on on the Apple side is like a wrapper or like our part of foundation of like for the app like other developers of the app like those teams uh, that Bena mentioned um, a UI kit framework and like a framework that handles our data model and core data so um, it's the lower level to a certain extent in an app uh, frameworks that we are working on that in the end often touch all the other frameworks. Maybe one, one addition also, though I think we, we just took this for granted, but maybe, maybe people probably don't know what Xing does. And basically it's a social network for the German speaking market. So it's a bit like LinkedIn and it has around like 15 million users in the German um, speaking market, but it's only for the German speaking market because maybe some users, well, some listeners wondered what, what kind of app needs all these weird features. And it's because it's a social network. Yep, exactly. So what we actually want to start with is not jump straight into refactoring or like coding, um, but actually what we did before we started coding. So the actual topic that we want to, like the actual refactoring that we want to discuss uh, was a large refactoring of our networking stack. Um, that networking stack, as being mentioned for historical reasons, was uh, using AF networking um, and was also still using the deprecated um, NSURL connection API. So before we actually started with this refactor, what, what did we do, Bene? What did we do before, before we started tackling this? So initially we kind of had to figure out what to do, right? So, um, the, the, the scope of such a project can be very simple. Um, if let's say the AF networking is 
totally wrapped and just one one call is actually used, used if, like imagine that you have a wrapper around AF networking and just there's one call that doesn't get requested and uh, has a completion block. In that case, it's kind of easy because you kind of, you can basically just re-implement that call and you're done. So the first thing that kind of we had to do was how much of the code base is affected and um, how much has AF networking actually bled out into the code base over the years to assess how much code has to be changed, how does it affect the unit tests, um, and similar things. And what did that turn out to be? Like, what was the answer to that question? Uh, that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it really had plowed, bled out into the code base and AF networking has a lot of useful functionality and that was used in various places. And then, um, there were problems where, um, the way AF networking handles requests and serializes requests, um, was, so the endpoints on the server expected this specific behavior. Um, and a normal URL session based, um, serialization would not necessarily have the same behavior. And that means that the calls failed and, and so many of many small things and big things. Basically, it, it was used all over the place. Yeah. And then like, obviously networking is not a small thing, like not a trivial thing at all. Um, so that only adds to like the complexity of the project and like how we like had to approach it. Yes, I was really afraid of this because in a social networking app like, like this, like everything is just displaying JSON. Like whatever you do, you really just display what the server does and then you report back to the server. And with so many networking calls over so many places of the app, now most of them kind of tested, but, but still I was afraid that something somewhere, because the app also has been developed for so many years, that we might just miss something somewhere and then the, the worst case situation situation can happen and also the whole login process flow was also completely redeveloped then so there was also i was kind of afraid like that after launch one million users users were suddenly locked locked out and, and stuff like that so that was it was kind of tricky now thankfully to to remove some suspense it mostly went well so that there was already the, the there was no big problem so at least that worked yeah, so for those of you that didn't catch that, we finished this refactoring, so we're like looking back at what we did. So it's not that it's still ongoing. Uh, we indeed had a few small bugs. Um, we fixed a few, like the ones that we know of. So it seems like uh, like it's like it works like a charm. Yeah, I mean, it, when did we deploy it? couple of one month ago, maybe something like that. Yeah. And just today we fixed another small bug. Thankfully that wasn't in, in the code that we touched, but we will, we will get to that later. But so we have ongoing small issues, but in general, it was a, a pretty good refactoring. Okay. So how did we handle this? Like as a team, um, what did, like, how was, like, how was the rest of the company involved? How were the other teams that we talked about involved? So here at Xing, we have a, um, something called community meeting where once a week we sit together uh, for one hour, like all the developers, all the iOS developers from the different teams that work on the app and um, inform each other about what we are doing. And for a couple of weeks while we were working on this, we always gave status updates in the community meeting, usually by a small talk. Let's say we had a 20 minute talk uh, where we explain what we are currently working on, the issues we are seeing so that the people could prepare on what's coming and would also and could also follow along basically uh, on on the developments we had and the problems we ran into because some of the problems also were in sections that obviously didn't belong to our team but to some other team and then we had also had to contact them and, and ask them what's currently happening there and if they can look into that because for 
complicated code, let's say there is a whole, um, the, the messenger part of the app um, has an encrypted chat component and there were some issues in, in that code and I really didn't want to touch it. Like I didn't want to, the one to be responsible for non-working encryption in the, in the messenger component. So um, we had to integrate the teams where it was necessary. Yeah, so it was us involving, or at least the team involving, I was not part of the team at that point actually, um, the community uh, by ways of giving them updates and asking for a discontinuous feedback loop. And I think that's something that worked out really well. Yeah, it, I think that worked really well. So obviously, like such a huge refactor brings uh, with it a lot. Um, and one of those, thing, those things is like the API that you're going to write. Because the previous implementation was, as far as I know, completely Objective-C. It was even networking with apparently not much sprinkled on top or not really wrapped. And now you have this chance or this, this option to look at a refined API, um, that is beautiful and is nice to, to work with. Um, but it's still really tricky because like we said, our code base is still 50 50 or at least a lot of Objective C as well as a lot of Swift. So it's not that easy to create an API, right? Totally. So the, 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 the initial spark that actually helped us to, to pull this off, to, to start on this refactoring was a, um, pure Swift API, new API client that one of our coworkers, Joachim, had written over a couple of hack weeks. So here at Xing, like three times a year, there's a hack week where you can work on whatever you want. And Joachim started working on a new API client. Now, Joachim has since left the company, but thankfully his code stayed. And um, so we took that as an opportunity to start working on this API client. The problem was that, or not the problem, like what he did right was that he used all of the new object uh, Swift features to build the API client, which however, also meant that it wasn't easily integrated into, an, into Objective-C. And so what we decided to do was to write a wrapper in Swift that is Objective-C compatible, um, that keeps the... Um, ways of the old API client, the, the uh, call, um, the ways you call it and the ways you use it so that um, the, the the code the where it's being called um, doesn't need to change at all. So there's a safety or a compatibility layer around this new Swift API client that makes sure um, that the, the old ways of using it still exist as it were. And that allows us in the future to do, for example, more refactorings um, and, and Per per get rid of these calls, but also it allows us to use in the new Swift code already the new API client um, without having to rewrite all the call sites, which would have been much much more work. Yeah, and things we're talking about here is something like a result type, uh, support for codable, um, default expressions in uh, functions, um, and like all of those really interesting things were were actually really nice to to start with to get this idea of this is what it can be and this is what it now actually is in, in Swift uh, with still having this compatibility layer for Objective-C, which makes it that it, didn't, uh, that it is still pretty beautiful in Objective-C, I would say. Yeah. This also, interestingly, um, introduced a couple of bugs and most of them were around the brittleness, I would call it, of the Objective-C Swift bridge. And my favorite one was that in the old Objective-C code, there was a call where in the header file in Objective-C, somebody had said NS assume none null 
So obviously, the, the, it was for Swift at this point, it was guaranteed that the result from that call was always non-null. So this completion block was handed into the Swift part of the code, where Swift then would take it and would convert it into um, a completion block that accepted data, not optional data, because Objective-C had said this is non-null. Now, the problem is that Objective-C doesn't really much care about its lightweight generics. So in this particular case, the data that came back from the server could actually be null. In the past, that wasn't a problem because Objective-C would just happily get this null and then ignore what was said in the header and would work just fine, but Swift wouldn't. And so what Swift did was it would try to call the completion block, which had a non-optional type, but the type it had was suddenly optional. It was null and it didn't know what to do. And then it would try to um, call its kind of class on it and that didn't work. And then it would just die. And it was kind of tricky to figure out what's ha what was happening there. But once we had that, we could easily go through the code base and just check for all the um, or the NSAssume null that were used in, in the API client and just change these. Um, but it, it was small things like these that made um, they, the development kind of tricky because um, not always does the interplay between Objective-C and Swift work just fine. And at the same time, that was also, like to me at least, that gave me a feeling of like, hey, we're actually solving issues that we've not run into before but that could have been an issue in the future and i think that's like the best case scenario in such a case where you can at least say hey we fixed like a backward like a bug backward yeah. and we don't have to worry that that will happen in the future yeah like like the one we ran into today do, do you want to quickly talk about it yeah so there was another small bug uh where some of the put and post requests uh, would crash. And we didn't initially understand what was going on. Um, and in the end, what it was is like deep down during JSON serialization, so it wasn't decoding, it was encoding, um, some object uh, was called is kind of class on and it would crash. And what it ended up being is that we were enumerating or adding something to a mutable array, again, Objective-C, while this like serialization was happening. And obviously it didn't like that because the array or the dictionary, I don't know what it was that was, uh, that it was called on was obviously being mutated. So we basically were asking a memory address that didn't exist anymore. Hey, what kind of class are you? And apparently that's not how it should work. Yeah, and why it always worked so far was that in the old API client, I think the serialization happened on the main thread. And now obviously with the new one, we moved it to a background thread and now suddenly all these bugs appeared. And it's and it's a good feeling when you add more safety to a code base. And then now, of course, you have a bit more bugs, but then you actually can fix bugs that were always dormant before they just never appeared. Exactly. Um, so what did we do in regards to this big refactor? I think you touched on it, um, but we didn't really deprecate anything. Um, so it was kind of like this big bang migration. Um, but what we did is we added this wrapper. How are we planning to either get rid of that in the future or how are we planning to move forward from this point on? So the, the current idea is we have something like ongoing migrations yet. The code base is quite old and it's a lot of code and it's not always easy to just go on with the Big Bang and remove and change something to, to the newest and shiniest thing. Uh, sometimes the, you would need to do a lot of refactoring in different sections. And so the idea is um, 
that we try to change the minimal thing and then we, we add a migration that's, um, that is a target for all teams. And then the teams can basically start working on that per per. We had a, um, last year or two years ago, um, they, the way how the, um, when you get JSON results back, how the JSON results are synthesized. Um, and how they are converted and how they become data structures. They, they used to be a different way of doing it here. Um, and the, that was completely changed. And so basically what, what happened was there was a new way developed, a new, uh, provider system that would basically be used to get the data from the server and displayed in a collection view. Um, but that wasn't uh, rolled out all over the, the code base. Basically it was just added and then every team could, as it had time, Take the, um, take the old system out and use the new system whenever they, they edited something. Um, and I, I feel like it's similar for the API client because as we are moving to having more Swift and less Objective C, um, automatically the, the Swift code will start to use the new API client and there will be less Objective C users. And at some point, I guess we will be down to such a low number that we can just take a week maybe and, and try to get rid of the remaining ones. Exactly. Um, and then obviously with such a big uh, migration, such a big uh, change in the code base all over the code base, um, it was a bit tricky to review this, to review the whole code, um, to battle with Git, with merge conflicts, because obviously like anytime like somebody else was merging something, um, there was going to be a new conflict. Uh, how did we handle that? So obviously for the time being while we were working on it it was on a branch and then like once a week one of us had the terrible task of merging master into the branch <laughs> and <laughs> fixing all the issues that appeared which was particularly nasty if somebody had added new api client usages that basically we had to identify um and at, at some point that that became a bit easier um after we we had changed enough places in the code base um but you also want to um you want to get this merged into master at some point. And one problem was that some of the tests that we had were really tests where we said in the platform team, um, this is not something that we can fix because we don't know enough about the usage here. Um, that's something the teams kind of have to work on. And um, what we used to do in the past, what we might not do anymore in the future, there's an open discussion here at the company, but what we used to do in the past is employ something called a red global improvement, where for the time being, master becomes red. So a very, very difficult and complex refactoring is merged on master and the tests fail. And then every team has to make sure that their tests um, become green again, and then everybody can continue. Um, this worked kind of well in the past, but it didn't work so well for this refactoring uh, because the, the scope of this refactoring was too big and um, so that it, lead, it led to some problems. Yeah, so the red global improvement to go a bit further into that is the idea of like, let's just put it on master at a like point in time that we uh, agree on. And because what if you, if you don't do that, what happens is you continue to work on it while other people are uh, also like working on other things. And you get this continuous battle of like new thing pushed to master, have to resolve conflicts, new thing pushed to master, have to close on, uh, have to resolve conflicts. And then you kind of never get to a green state of like every test. Um, so that is like why we employed that here. Um, but 
What I also wanted to go into, and we didn't really discuss this yet, is how was the reviewing process? How was this big pull request like reviewed? Um, yeah, for, for that, we, um, since the, the code base is split up for different teams, there are kind of folders in the code base that belong to different teams. And what we did was we took all the changes from all the commits and applied them on master again on the, on the tree in Git. So that basically they, all the changes, um, are now in the, in the, in the Git index. So they are not part of a commit anymore. And then we took all the changes in, each individual folder and made one commit of that um, that was then assigned to a separate team. So then every team basically had just the changes that affected their part of the code base in one commit. So they could in Git basically just open that one commit and look at the changes. That made it really easy because otherwise, I think, what, what do we have? We had 6,500 changes in 250 files, I think. And that's something that nobody can overview, especially if 90% of that doesn't belong to your section. Exactly. And then obviously we had the remaining part that was actually the API client code that was then uh, separately reviewed yeah, from that. Yeah. And uh, the same for tests. We, uh, another commit was like, there was one commit for the, for the code that was changed in the library and one commit for the test that were changed for the teams. And so they had like two commits to look at. How did we tackle the like issue or how did we ensure correct usage of this new library? Like we have across like 10 teams. Uh, 25 plus people, how did we make sure that everybody can basically get the best out of this new uh, API client? I'm not sure if we, if we really ensured that so far, but uh, what we did was we had two talks in the community meeting that I mentioned earlier, where we explained how the new API client works. Um, and then there's also documentation that they can look into. Um, and then there are a couple of example implementations, um, new, new classes that already use the new API client so that they can basically look into it and see how it works. Um, but I feel like we, we could certainly do more there. Um, at the end, we really just wanted to, to be able to uh, finish this first step and then go on to the next step to, to add more documentation and make, make sure that it's used in a nice way. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that we learned from this big refactoring is that how like obvious it might sound and as most of our listeners probably know how hard it is in, in practice is think more before we start. And especially when it comes to like header documentation, um, like make sure that everybody on the team understands like what is expected and at what point we do that. Yeah, that totally. All right. Um, so about testing, like how did we do testing for this uh, new API client. What did we have to change a lot? Did we have to add a lot of new tests? Obviously, we have a lot of lot of new code. How did we go about that? So the um, one of the good things is that um, we already had a lot of tests for various API client usages. Um, that was good. Um, what was not so good was that many of them relied on a existing singleton. API client and started messing with that. And that was never something that I particularly liked. And since we were already um, changing this, um, we, we took the opportunity and changed the code for that so that now there's no singleton anymore. 
Um, and you can basically instantiate a API client in your code. You can use the, that API client uh, and then afterwards it's discarded. Um, and it even works with um, with the wrapping layer for, for Objective-C. So even the Objective-C tests now basically just instantiate and a API client use that and then get rid of it, which makes it much easier. And also we, um, we introduced a protocol so that you can also mock an API client and just use that mocked API client to, um, to run your test before that. Um, OC mock was used to um, to basically uh, to to do the same thing, but with much less overhead, which meant the tests kind of kind of slower. And actually, we identified a couple of tests where nothing was tested except for OC mock itself. Basically, what it did was it would do something, and then it would just check that a property that was previously set on OC mock was still the right property on OC mock. And that I think there's better things OC I could do than doing that. Exactly. But it's hard. Like I've, I've seen it before where I wrote a test and kind of asking myself, like, Hey, what am I, what am I really testing? Like, what is this test meant for? Because sometimes it felt like I was writing a test that would actually help because if the implementation would change, the test would fail. And then you basically have this point in time where you can say, Hey, is that test now expected to fail? Or did I change something that shouldn't have like have been changed? Um, but it's definitely a tricky line to to cross. Um, last but not least, uh, emoji. What do you think about emoji and what's been happening with the bagel and with the pizza? I, I first of all, I'm really happy that I'm an Apple user um, because at least I feel like their emoji are by far the nicest. Um, if you if you look at the other emoji implementations, some are so unbelievably ugly. I I wouldn't feel happy using them. So I'm I'm very glad that we have these nice emoji. And then, but I also think that people kind of made too much of a fuss about emojis. Now the the the, the old bagel that was added like a couple of weeks ago certainly wasn't the most beautiful bagel. And I agree that the new bagel that Apple added is a much more beautiful bagel. Um, but. I think, like, I wouldn't have cared the, the, in the least. Like, it's nice to have a better bagel, but I don't, I would have been fine with the old one. I think they did the same as we did with the API client. They built this bagel, didn't have time to add the, the cream cheese yet, which is our documentation. Could and be. now they actually got the time to add the cream yes, cheese. Yes. <laughs> That's certainly a possibility. I also have to say, I, I have like 10 emojis that I use and <laughs> that's it. Like the plethora of emojis that are in there, most of them I don't use. Um, and just because I'm too lazy, I feel like they, it's already easier to add emojis when you're writing, but as it still takes too long for me. It would be, I don't know. I, I would, I would prefer an even faster way of inserting emojis and I can't really think of one right now, but, um, I still don't use emoji smileys. I just use the normal old style beginning of the web smiley where I use a, a colon and a closing parentheses. It's faster. Yeah. So what I do actually is I have some text replacements that actually replace that with an actual emoji. Okay. I should do that. That's a smart trick. All right. Then oh, wait, I wait, wait, wait. What's your opinion on the new emoji? Oh God, I, so I wanted to skip this. Um, emoji are, are weird and interesting. Um, so there's this, this Emojipedia, which is a really beautiful resource for, for everything, uh, emoji. And every time I look at it and see like all the, com like different emoji side by side. So the emoji from Samsung are different than those from Apple are different than those from Twitter are different than those from Samsung, I think. Did I anyway? There are like a bunch of them for all. 
uh, emoji you can think of. And what's really interesting um, is that they like they have an idea of like, hey, this is supposed to uh, show a phone or this is supposed to show a pencil, for example. But they don't have any more characteristics of like, hey, this pencil should like go from right to left, like it should be slanted. So what you see is that you have these weird differences where a pencil on one platform is pointing to the left and on the other platform to the right, which can have some weird consequences, which is maybe not the same, but kind of similar to what happened with uh, the gun when Apple replaced the gun with a water pistol. And like you have certain emojis that are pointing to the left or pointing to the right, depending on the platform. I think that's like weird. So you would like to for emoji to be more detailed, like in the like for the emoji consortium, the the ESO group to be more clear in what an emoji should look like. I every time, like like I said, like every time I look at that, I think that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm sure they also have like a good idea of why they want it. Like there should also be this artistic freedom, I think. Um, and although I agree with Benedict that I really prefer the Apple emoji, I think it's really cool that it's actually allowed for multiple platforms and multiple uh, interested groups to create their own emoji. I, I tend to agree with that, but I, I think I'm more on the on the side where there should be a more it should be more strict in what an emoji could look like because for for many things it may actually be that the state of emotion that a emoji conveys it might be different on different platforms. So you are sending an emoji that for you means I'm joyful, but the other person may read it as something different as a different emotion because the emoji looks to looks so different. Like for a smiley, for example. Um, and then you actually may convey the wrong emotion to the other person simply because you don't know what kind of device it has. And so I, I think it would be nice if there were more of a standard um, or it were stricter, but I, I, don't, I wouldn't know how that would, should really work in practice. There's also this fun article that we came out a couple of months ago where one guy that really knows about ants, he's an ant researcher, took a look at the different emojis for ants and compared them to an actual ant. And they, I think one of his comments was, I think it was the Twitter emoji. He, he just said, this is not an ant. Oh my God, what is this? <laughs> so, yeah. Artistic freedom. Yes, that's probably Twitter's artistic freedom. Okay, that was a great episode. Um, thanks for listening. And if you want to um, reach us, if you want to um, send us a message and so on, you can reach... Uh, at underscore contravariance on Twitter. Um, you can go to our website, contravariance.rocks, although I don't think you can actually comment there. Um, no, but commenting is on Twitter. Also. Yes, so Twitter Twitter is the, the easiest way to, to reach us. Um, you can also reach out to us personally. For me, that's at Bas Thomas on Twitter. And for me, that's at Terhechte on Twitter. And I think that about sums it up. Okay, thanks for listening. Bye.